Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're rolling. I'm going to count us down. Three. Uh, ooh. Two. Ooh. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And today we're joined by a special guest, Matt Smith. Ooh. I'm Matt Smith. Hi, Matt Smith. How are you? I'm good. I'm awesome. Good. Matt awesome. Smith, tell, tell all of the nice people who you are. Um, I'm not Doctor Who. <laughs> do you get do you get that a lot? Do you get like when, <laughs> yeah, when you meet yeah. people? That's happened. Like you more watch their than, face fall. Like you're uh, not you're not him. You're not Doctor Who. I mean, but do you use it to get into places? You're like, oh man, I don't want to wait in line at this restaurant, guys. I'm Matt Smith, and they're like, you look different than on TV, <laughs> and you're like. Fez is a cool, and they're like, "Okay, all right, you you won that's me." That's totally that's what he says. So you're yeah, yeah you're yeah. in. Yeah, right, right. As long as you can say his phrase, like it's it's a phrase that pays, bro. I don't right. know, I don't know anything about Doctor Who. <laughs> so you're not. I know I would, I'd watch. I actually did watch through Matt Smith. I think like the first Peter Capaldi season was the last season I actually kept up with. Yeah, don't remember why. Okay, just went somewhere else. Yeah. So I mean, not not the. Tw- 12? Matt Smith was 12? Doc, Dr. 12? Um, 11th. Okay. That sounds... Yes. Sure. Uh, so not not the 11th Dr. Matt Smith. Uh, Matt Smith, who, who are you? What do you, uh, what do you do? I am Matt Smith. I am a cinematographer and just like a kind of a video tech nerd dude. I work at Super Deluxe right now. That's cool. how I met you, Lex. That's how I ended up here. That is. Keep pulling a lot of people uh, from Super Deluxe. Eventually, it's just going to be the Super Deluxe is, Live Department podcast. Yeah, what you missed out on with Super Deluxe. <laughs> just recaps. Just like audio recaps. every week. I'm actually a little surprised that they don't, haven't broken into podcasting yet. Shh. Don't start, don't start anything there. Uh, uh, anyway, ooh, ooh, bad blood. I'm just no. I'm just saying, like, we don't need more things to do at work. Don't, that's totally I mean, fair. We'll do it for them. If, yeah, we totally. If Super Deluxe wants to. Wants we're a cheap. Weird, we're real cheap. Totally. If they want a weird podcast section, we got it. Um, we could bring I, them a podcast like this one, in which we talk about different media, whether it be movies, television, spoken word, music, also books. Who knows? We talk about different experiences <laughs> as well. Um, we that was incredibly sh- slick. Thank that you. really good. Uh, <laughs> we share them with you guys and each other. Uh, and we talk about how these things have built us as people. And we hope that they build you as well. One could call us the retrospective. That's introspective. It's cute because it rhymes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so you- Matt, you have brought in... This the concept of you wanted to talk about contemporary black media, yeah. Um, and so I think before we even get on that topic, 
Um, I mean, you've brought in a, a, a list of different things that you really want to kind of hit at some point, including like Dear White People, the series, um, Random Acts of Flyness, Blackish. You might we might talk about a little bit of Get Out, stuff like that. Um, but before we do that, can you tell us kind of what you mean by contemporary black media? No, anything, <laughs> anything that is about. Black experience okay. falls within the context of black media. But because blackness is not a monolith, uh it's a it's a murky it's a murky water. And yeah. I, and and the thing the thing I really want to talk about today and, and it's the the reason I chose some of the things I did were that um there's a new wave, not a, a new old wave, of like black surrealism and Afrofuturism, um, and just sort of a disassociated, a more ontological look at blackness. Okay. A state of as blackness as a state of being. Yeah. Uh, versus blackness as an experience, and. I feel like a lot of shows, there are more shows now that are willing to navigate that space than where previous black media, quote unquote, was navigating a much more restricted space in what it meant to be black and simultaneously what a black experience is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's taken us a really long time to get to the point where, so uh, just off the off the top of my head, um, since you wanted, since you brought up random acts of flyness at a certain point, mm. I um, it when I was watching the show, it really made me think like this is the first time I've experienced a show that was allowed to be weird and black, um, whereas like before, if you wanted to do a like a quote-unquote like black show mm. it had to be very specific in that like it's got to be about a family it's got to be uh you know uh it's got to have a, some white people and, and it's got to be like quote-unquote super relatable mm. otherwise like no one's going to put it no one's going to produce it no one's going to put it on their network um but now we've gotten to a point where you could really just like it's not just like black as a novelty but it's black as as experienced by black people for black people. Yeah. For black people is a big key. Yeah. In a, in a lot of these programs, um, which is why some of them on that list, like blackish, for example, I feel like at times is somewhat like a, like a Trojan horse in the way it presents a concept. Uh, and I know like if we look at it from like a tabloid perspective, like Kenya Barris has had all sorts of issues with ABC and, things being written out of shows and episodes not airing uh now he's making a move to netflix so i'm excited to see that because uh this is this is why the intersection of afrofuturism is so interesting to me because it's very real like technology has allowed black media to flourish in a way that it couldn't 10 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um i honestly i consider something like world star hip-hop to be the pinnacle of black media if we're being honest like a section of black. <laughs> but but and that's where it goes back to like black beings like that is like world star and what you think of when that 
website comes to your head. Do you, well, first off, do you guys know what WorldStar is? I do, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let me stop. So actually, right, okay, so we're, all right. Uh, as as may be evident, I am uh, the least qualified person on this episode <laughs> yeah. to talk about any of these subjects in any way. So there's going to be a lot of hmm and okay well, and though, from me. But but so since we paused the way we did, there are probably some people listening to this show who don't actually know what World Star is. So I feel like it might be appropriate to offer a little bit of context. Um, yeah. But also, I I. I knew that those were the exact words that were going to come out of your face. Um, and I, and I want to encourage you to really try to give your perspective on these topics and like, give it to us from your experience. Cause it's like, I also, I think that like everyone in the audience knows that I am a black man. And like, so I, I don't want this to just be a conversation between yeah, Matt black. and I, um, <laughs> Whoa! Uh, Fuck, I want man. I want other perspectives to be represented. Sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yes. Uh, no. If I have something pertinent to add, I will. I will. No. Well, but so. but what I'm saying is like I want you to feel like comfortable enough to like be uh, ignorant in this space. Like I want you to feel free to be like I don't necessarily understand this thing and we can kind of try to give context if possible or just like give whatever our perspectives on that thing is. Okay. I appreciate you establishing parameters relatively early because that is a little bit helpful because I'm honestly ready to just kind of sit and absorb and listen. But if I can sort of be the voice for people who might be listening going like, what, what? Yeah. Then all right. Yes. Good. See, this is, this is helpful. You put, you created a little safe lane for me to operate. (laughs) Um, yeah, I wanted to get that, uh, done before we start diving into like world star and all that. Yeah. Stuff. It's going to get black. Okay. So am I, <laughs> all right. So I guess my role in this conversation might be to ask like the white people questions, but you know, sorry, but Lex, maybe, I don't know if you can take this as a point of comfort or not, but very centered to blackness and this conversation about blackness is going to be the, uh, the specter of whiteness over the whole conversation. What about that is meant to be comforting? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying you, you, just as I was, I was saying, we're, we are now finally seeing media that shows the black being and what it means to be black and, and be a soul that has to experience human blackness. White people have been making movies about that for like, years and years and years and that has informed all other people's right as as a default yeah yes yeah there's no at, at this point especially in american culture there's no way to talk about being black without also it being entangled with living in a white society exactly yeah yes that yeah. tracks so you know you're, you're you're there you're you're hanging out that's all right that's a weird thing for me to uh, uh, derive comfort from, <laughs> I think. And that's what we want. That's, right. that's why all this media that's is not, coming up. That's because not the only way to me. That's really upsetting. Yeah, live it. But that's the thing. I think he's saying, like, live in that discomfort. Right. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Like, I'm not trying to hide from it. I'm just saying, no, that's not comforting to me at all. <laughs> because that's the closest state of being that we, as black people, I think can can give white people. And that's why a movie like Get Out was received the way it was. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you take a black experience and present it as something horrific, 
it's what was funny to me about Get Out was how many white people just thought it was a horror movie. Yeah. And like didn't feel the racial component to it or like saw it but didn't saw it just as a plot driving point. Okay. Not something to talk about how it feels to exist. Mm. And that's and black people responded, you know, hand over heel talking about how it's like, yes, this is how it feels when I go to like my white friend's house and they're asking like this is like I feel like I'm in that scene. Um and that's a, and that is a that's a disorienting uncomforting space that we have to like navigate. Um and that's why I think some of these shows are more useful to representing blackness than others in the in the contemporary black space. I think everyone going back to to how I, I'm all over the place. Going back to That's how fine. we ended up at World Star, yeah. talking about technology. <laughs> yeah, um, there is so much more media out now, and there are so many more black creators, and that's great. Um, by default, actually, not by default, I should say, being a black creator doesn't mean you're making black media. Mm-hmm. However, there's a high probability that you're going to try, at least attempt to do something to relate blackness in whatever you're making. I feel like it's hard not to. Yeah. You want to relate who you are in whatever you're making. I also feel like there's this, there's this feeling of responsibility. I often talk about this with other black creators where like, even if you're not setting out to make a a specifically black thing there, there's this feeling of responsibility that you always have to try to integrate some uh, feeling of blackness just because like, there's so little of it out there that you always have to kind of make something that is representative of, of like your perspective or, or just like the black community, just because like there's this responsibility to put it out there so that other people who come after you are like, yes, this is me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. And, and that's something that it seems like white creators have been afforded they, it seems like, I don't know, like they skip a step somehow in like needing to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Validate an experience or an emotion or like a feeling, you know? Well, like the validation is just sort of presupposed. It's just, it's just presupposed. Like, like girls is so much worse than living single. How do you mean? Like as a as a show, and <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, it's right, just, let's do this. Just garbage. Hell yeah! You did I'm say, you did say right. Like, You're just like cylinders. I want to come on the show and talk shit. I was like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I, like on all cylinders, I'm firing. Uh, uh, girls was melodramatic to me, and it was like it was it blew up what seem to me like normal experiences that every person goes through and maybe that was the point for the, it to be a show about normal experiences that white women in their mid-20s in New York go through mm. but like Living Single was a sitcom it's a different format sure but it was about what it was like to be a black woman in her 20s in New York and it was about like a group of friends but there, I mean, there's just not. It, it was a comedy, which I think is also something that 
a lot of black shows have to feel restricted to in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, is it's that everything like anything that happens is taken as a joke a lot because there are episodes in there about like miscarriages and you know like wanting to adopt because she's not sure if she uh can uh man conceive conceive yeah, yeah my words no i mean but i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of traumatic experiences storylines plot lines in that show bound one i think masterfully bound with comedy mm. i think if anything that makes it that's what makes it a better show is that you're able to still make me laugh and be like this is funny while presenting something traumatic to me yeah whereas like girls it's like things that aren't even quote-unquote that bad or f- seemingly fairly normal like in, the, in a dating space or something get this insane amount of attention that makes it like I can't relate to feeling that way about yeah. an experience that small. Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. Like the just if for anyone who hasn't seen Living Single, it is a, a show with. I'm just over uh, here nodding quietly, <laughs> like I know of it. Uh, yeah, it's a show uh, premiered in the '90s. Had Queen Latifah. Um, what is I forget Regina's name. She was a famous actress as well. It was, um, and they were, it was essentially four women living in the same apartment complex Mm. um, and existing within their relationships. There was an episode specifically I remember um, that always sticks with me where it was about Kyle, who was one of their neighbors. Um, He was trying to get this job. He was, he was one of the like first um, successful corporate black people I had ever seen on TV. Yeah. Um, and he had this, he was going for this job and they essentially didn't want to give it to him because he had dreads. And there was this moment where he had to decide between like cutting his hair, um, or getting this job. And he had to stand up for himself that like his, his hair was a represent, was represented who he was and where he comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and to ask him to cut it, uh, was essentially trying to tell him to like, conform to their their societal needs and something to make them more comfortable as white people in this company and that always really stuck with me and it's like you were talking about how they take something as serious as racial discrimination and bring jokes into it whereas like uh something as small uh as like just two people not being able to talk to each other like in a white show they have the liberty to to ratchet that up, yeah. but, but in order to make something as as heavy as racial discrimination palatable, we have to integrate jokes into it, which is like that dichotomy uh, is something that we're starting to bridge the gap between, but like we're st- I don't know if we're necessarily all the way there yet. Oh no way! But I, but that's I mean it's I'm glad you brought up that episode um, with Kyle and, and the dreads because there's a sketch in I'm calling it a sketch. Uh, random acts of flyness, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, one, I I don't know if you would agree that to, I believe it has like no true format. It's hard to nail down what its format is. Yeah. It's hard to say what kind of show it is. I I remember when you were giving me a couple of titles, that was one of them, and I was like, oh, I don't know that one. And you were basically like, oh, it's a sketch show. I went, oh, okay. Walking away, thinking like Keen Peel or Chappelle. Right. And, and oh, it, but it's not. It's that. not. Yeah. It's, it's this, not at all. It's that. this incredible like collage of different things. Collage. That's a good. Yeah. Idea. Like okay. So like it's on the one hand incredibly deeply affecting and distressing, and on the other, I like all right. The in the first episode because I watched the first couple that 
uh, everyone dies piece. Like I was di- like I was dying, dude. That's stupid choice of words. I was um, <laughs> no like when, when the door opens and this little girl is being pulled into the void by all of these hands. You take a step back and it's like existentially horrifying. But in the moment too, it's just like this is fucked up and I'm doubled over. Yeah, and it's like it, Wonder Shows in. It feels like Wonder Shows. Exactly Shosen. what it reminded it's me. Like, of. It's like funny that these little kids are like in this awkward place. Yes. Um, but yeah, I fit the, the lack of format thing. I wouldn't necessarily thought to phrase it that way, but it really, it feels like a collage of different pieces, different short films and you just kind of flow from one to the other. And the way they just so organically move between tones, like it's insane. Like in like the, the stuff that I took a look at, uh, specifically for, um, for this episode that you mentioned you wanted to talk about, like consistently just incredible pieces of filmmaking. Um, and you talk about, um, and this is something I wanted to ask about. Uh, you talk about, you referred earlier to like uh, black surrealism. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain tone that like, I think uh, Random Acts of Flyness certainly has. Um, you mentioned Atlanta. I think Atlanta has a lot. Um, it tracks, Donald Glover said uh, in an interview before it premiered, um, he, he was looking to make Twin Peaks with rappers. Yeah. <laughs> just in terms of being able to like very quietly unsettle the audience right like you you can be laughing but there's this creeping sense of existential dread um that's sort of just under everything even these very kind of passive calm moments mm-hmm. um so like i watch certain things right and it's like as a okay as a white person watching um these very these black shows these shows that as you guys are describing are really m- far more representative of an actual black experience like as a white viewer I can tell, like, A, of course, I can appreciate the the masterful, like, craft on display in terms of technique, but also it's like, I know what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling is very different than what I, what one experiences watching, like, you know, very, like, white-centric stuff that we've, as a culture, been bombarded with for a hundred plus years. It's like, I know what I'm experiencing is different, and I guess on some level, it's like, you go, oh, well is this is this kind of feel this tone is this more indicative of what the quote unquote black experience is and then in the next moment i go well you can't you're not qualified to answer that question dude like you can't possibly know that you can just <laughs> gesture kind of wildly in that direction but in terms of um i guess right for lack of a better word and there's a very clunky way to phrase it like um that you'd say that's surrealism right is that reflective in your perception of what like the Again, I feel so weird like phrasing it this way, but like the quote unquote uh, black experience, right? Like, does that? I mean, well, uh, it's funny you were saying. Did the question even make sense? Yeah, it makes okay. sense. It makes sense. I, I think I understand. What you, I think I understand what you're saying and like where you're having trouble with. And what I would pose back to you is sort of a rhetorical question, but like, do you get this same feeling of existential dread watching a Lynch? film or a Jodorowsky film or like any of your weird white guys weird white guys um yeah but but in a way that feels like with Lynch it feels far more abstract Mm -hmm. and with something like say the same feeling of existential dread that you watch uh you you internalize watching Atlanta say it feels so much more uh concrete and immediate feels real it feels very real and like okay so would that be right like I guess it that in a way based on what i've what i've heard like people who aren't me talk about that experience right like that it seems like there is an element of that right like to be a 
black person in America, there is a certain element, I think, the way some people describe it, at this same kind of underlying existential, if not dread, then everything being a little bit, um, in terms of what the what like the quote unquote standard has always been, just a little bit off of that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. right. Did, I'm rambling a bunch, so I hope no, no, this no, actually I, makes I, some sense. I, I agree with you. I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, being black has a built-in quality to it that just decenters you from. How I, not I can't say for any other race. I've never been anything other than black. Right. But it seems to me, even on as something as simple as a visual level, we're the most different from everyone else. If we, you know, if we want to go back to phrenology, like we are physically different yeah. in a lot of ways. So there is something. There is something different about being black and being. I think that. I think that history has taken that difference and made it negative mm. um, in many, many ways. But the short of it is that it's a negative difference. Um, and I think these shows are more so than, than media of the past. So going back to why I brought up Random Acts of Flyness, and I think this will all connect. We're talking about the hair episode with Kyle in Living Single. There's a sketch in Random Acts of Flyness where a woman is told she has bad hair. She's going, she, she's got her, her hair's all frizzed up, all curled up. Um, and she's going to uh, a beauty salon to get it done. Um, but she tells a woman, she's like, I just want like a blow dry. I don't want, she, the lady picks up like a huge vat of chemicals to put in her hair and straighten it out. Um, she's like, no, no, thank you. Um... And the lady's like, ah, bad hair. The hair comes off the woman's head, comes to life, comes off the woman's head. It's like, you call me bad? I'm not bad. Or like, if you're going to call me bad, then I'll be bad. Mm. Uh, which is a very interesting statement from the hair mm-hmm. and from how black people have had to respond to certain acts throughout the history of the United States. But so the hair's like, if you want me, to, if you're going to call me bad, then I'll be bad. I'll show you bad. It, and then it goes out. It goes completely off the rails. She like cuts this other. Let's say he's trying to hit her with a hot. This other piece of hair. He's trying to cut her with a hot comb, and she kills her. And then she goes to prison. And the charges are like constant defrizzing. Like it's completely surreal and absurd at that point. But the the plot line follows through, and it hits on all these points. She meets a woman in prison who is like, "I want to free you, sister, from, you know, the the classic like." rebirth in the in the prison system which is a trope in like real life and in media for black men that they'll like go to prison and come out different Mm -hmm. uh but she's like told she she's given the definition of bad and like this is this is all a real woman talking to like a bundle of hair and it goes away. It like the sketch ends, and then it just goes away until like many, many scenes down the line, when the woman is bald and suddenly her hair like comes back, and it's now like a very, it's like a locked, well kempt style that like places herself upon her head, and <laughs> and it was just like it was just a very absurd, but it was, it was such a poignant way to speak to so many facets of black existence with such a simple metaphor. And I and I think when you think of 
all these ins- like insane abstract imagery and like Lynch films. Like there are people who still don't know what the fuck Twin Peaks was about. Right. Like no one knows what Twin Pe- like Twin Peaks is weird and it's fun, but it's like it it doesn't seem to really say that much. Whereas one part of this one episode of this whole show touched on multiple topics of a of a an experience and an existence that like thousands hundreds of thousands of women are like going through constantly right and many other things in like three minutes and it's not to say that that's better filmmaking but i it's like that is that seems to be the only right now the only channel that can can make a dent in in how things are being received Hmm. but there's still this air of like comedy and like like that's what like when I say it, like surrealism to me generally also includes like some sort of comedic bend. I feel like surrealism people immediately say, "Oh, this could be saying something," but also it's kind of a joke. Right. Well, right. Yeah. In in surrealism there is always a, a bit of absurdity. We were talking about this last week, I think, where we were talking about the only way to get to the other side of an existential crisis is to realize that existence is absurd. Um, and, and so once, once you get to the point of absurdity, then it kind of bends into surrealism, which is the only way that you can truly process it. Mm. Um, I do kind of going to what you were saying about how, um, random acts of flightness there, there's always, um, an underlying subtext to every like surreal thing. So like you were, you Lex were talking about how the, the death sketch had you dying like it was just funny don't no. remind me of that <laughs> awful word choice it's terrible <laughs> um the death sketch um, made you laugh a lot but um, but again it's like it it's not that it should or shouldn't make me laugh it's just it makes me laugh and then you take a step back and it is existentially horrifying right well yeah i it was in, i it i guess pinged in my brain when you said that because i couldn't laugh for a single moment during that sketch because all I could think about was the subtext. Like all I could think about was it was it was like a uh, don't hug me, I, don't hug me, I'm scared. That or like a too many cooks um, yeah. version of what it's like to exist in in in, in uh, America as a black person. In that like, there's that moment when she's going and she's like, um, "What is the right answer?" And it's like you don't even know the question. Right, <laughs> right, like, right, right. Every answer ends in death like and and there's it's it's like she's stuck in this loop and she's trying to escape and she's crying out for help uh and there's nothing that can help her that's the part that's existentially horrifying so just to explain i guess part of part of my sense of humor is like i for maybe it's almost like um not a not an uncomfortable response but like when somebody's taking a premise as far as they can fucking take it like they're committing to it as hard as possible and i find myself going oh holy shit that i start laughing yeah like that's that does it for me but like no it's it's far more horrifying than it is actually funny on any conceptual oh, I know. level i know as I, as <laughs> I, know, I also I know. know you know i want to make sure you know that i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we literally have an episode called violence makes me laugh um in which uh, Lex breaks down how much grotesque violence just causes a, a uh, an automatic response of laughter. It's a little bit like 
that. Yeah. Not because it's actually funny, but because holy shit, that they're committing to this extremity about as hard as they can. Right. Um, which is is the uh, hair sketch, which is this concept of this this piece of hair representing like the lifespan of someone in in uh, in in black society being mm-hmm. told they are bad, and so doubling down into that idea. Yeah. Well, uh, while also still being like a, a surface level, just a comment on hair and black hair, which right. in and of itself is a conversation. I mean, Chris Rock did a whole documentary about it. I was it. just like, about to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, uh, that runs... The, Netflix has a new movie out that's called Napoli Ever After. Uh-huh. First off, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo. That just feels like somebody's getting made fun of, but... <laughs> that's what that movie is also about. It's about a woman who cuts off her hair after trying to be perfect her whole life and she has to regrow her hair back and her whole family apparently according to the trailer is disowning her because of it because she cut off her hair how that happens all the time okay yeah it's like it's it's probably no better than like any other midlife crisis movie you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's probably no better or no worse but it's wrapped up in that this cocoon of like like black experience but it's so it's so textbook and surface that it's i don't know that's the kind of film that i feel like as far as it being a piece of contemporary black media it's not pushing anything as opposed to something like uh, random acts of flyness or get out or atlanta right um i want to so earlier you mentioned um blackish and so <laughs> i i I feel like before I talk about Blackish, I feel like I have to talk about like all its predecessors because um, I feel like I feel like yeah. Blackish is the what I would call like the last four quadrant black sitcom. Um, in that, like, I don't think that we need that type of comedy anymore, but it, it's mm-hmm. made specifically to be as accommodating to white people as possible Mm -hmm. but also while still being a black show right um and so before uh, black shows were very much quote unquote like black shows like you have a certain number of black people in it it automatically becomes a black show and it needs its own network because no one's gonna buy it (laughs) um and so then uh so like leading up to it we had things like uh, in the 70s, it was Sanford and Son uh, and like Good Times and the Jeffersons and yeah. things of that sort. Very specifically black shows. But um, it had crossover value and like crossover audience yes. to an extent. Right. Which Blackish does too. Yes. Yeah. And then we, we get thing, we, we like, I feel like we had a, a, a decline in the 70s, but I don't remember. Or not in the 70s, in the, in the, 80s. In the 80s. But then we had a resurgence uh, with like, the well-known things like Fresh Prince and and Family Matters, um, Cosby shows, the Cosby 80s. show as well. Oh yes, yeah, that um, was the entirety. <laughs> they just needed one. Just, they, were like, yeah. they were like, we, we just need quota. Because <laughs> uh, um, yeah, from Cosby Show, we had a different world, which was a spinoff of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, I feel like, I feel like we've we've we got to Blackish, and it was like, it still had those sensibilities. But I think we as a society are kind of past that to where like now we can just make shows that star black people that are 
just about the experience that like you don't have to appeal to all four quadrants or whatever so we get things like dear white people where like there are people of mixed race and there are black people and there are white people and there are interracial relationships but like that's not what it's about you know yeah um and so like you you kind of hinted at this idea that like blackish is a trojan horse and that it's like yeah this is a black show but like <laughs> i don't feel like it is no what really did it for me i i had that thought after watching their hbcu episode one of these most recent seasons okay. um but it was when the daughters of praying to go to college yeah um i'm by the way guys i'm horrible with like character names and stuff i'm Doesn't very matter. much a visual person uh, but yeah, it was when their daughter was going to college, um, and she goes to uh, Howard, and it's funny because like um, reality falls fiction so many times, but like a year later, there was a crazy scandal and huge riots going on on the Howard campus because like their administrators were screwing up all sorts of financial aid stuff. But in the show, when she goes, there's a protest happening, not against the administration for being uh, fiscally irresponsible, but just against, like, cops or some other, you know, typical black protest cause in a show. (laughs) Um, And uh, I forget exactly what happens, but it it does kind of, like, the shit gets a little wacky. And, but what that that trickles down to by the end of the episode is a basic conclusion of, like, she should go to Stanford because... Things are way too volatile at Howard. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I, and my whole thing was like, yeah, who wrote this? Like, who wrote this and who they'd write it for? And mm-hmm. like, like, why are you pushing? Like, first off, context. It Like, first off, Howard's, at the time, Howard was fine. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, Howard's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that school. And there are many reasons for a black person not to want to go to an HBCU, but there are also very many reasons that one might. And the reason that you chose for someone, you chose to dismiss them entirely in the context of your show, because it starts, it starts with it being like, because Dre went to Howard and he's like, I'm going to show my daughter the prestige and, and like how proud she should be to involve herself with the HBCU. And by the end of it, he's like, you know what, right? You're right, Tracy Ellis Ross. We should send our daughter to like an expensive private school that's predominantly white because she will be better off. She, as a black woman, will be better off by going to this school. And it's like, where's that? Like, that seems like a disconnect. Um, And there's just a lot of episodes that are like that. And every episode is a voiceover of um, uh, Anthony... Not Mackie. Uh, <laughs> um, Mike, yeah, Anthony Anderson. Anthony Anderson, like, talking about black people do this and white people do that or they don't understand because they do this instead. And it's like, you don't have to tell black people that. We already know those things. Right. right. So clearly the show wasn't all the way for us. I feel like you can even see, I was thinking about it while, like, while we're talking about how, Tari, you described it as, like, the last kind of, like, four-quadrant, right, the last four-quadrant, quote-unquote, black show. Yeah. You can see it in the marketing, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought about it if we weren't having this conversation, but every piece of marketing for Blackish that I've ever seen, everybody's just standing at big smiles, so like, tame. big whips. Right. It's, it, it's, <laughs> like, it looks like this image is designed 
to, if, if you will, make them seem less potentially threatening to a white audience. Yeah. Whereas a show like Atlanta, they don't market it that way because they don't need to four quadrant it. That's not what the show is about. That's not necessarily who the show is automatically for. And it's reflected in the way it's sold. Yeah. And it's not something I would have necessarily thought about. Now I'm not going to be able to not think about it. Good. Um, you should. Well, it's something always. I was something I was aware of. It wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like me going like my eyes are open now and they never have been before. Today, for the first time, I see how it's reflected in the way things are sold to people. No, but just that show specifically. Yeah, I'm talking about the the marketing for Blackish specifically as compared to the marketing for other shows that uh, are more clearly more designed for a black audience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I um. I saw the pilot like right before it was picked up and I I knew I knew it was going to be one of those like <laughs> black people do this white people do that and it, and so I I couldn't get into it like I couldn't even, I couldn't support it just because of the principle but like the first episode is very much like oh you got to be a black man in America and you got to you got to do this cuz you're black and I I I personally hate those kind of things because like as it's as you were, you said earlier like black people are not a monolith and right. so like it it's just being black is is hard enough in that like there are all these rules and you always have these feelings that you're not like black enough or you're not supporting the community if, or at mm. least i do i'm not speaking for everyone because some people are like yeah i'm black that's me. That's what's up, y'all. Um, but like, I I am non-threatening enough. I'm making air quotes that like, I pass relatively in in like white spaces fairly like un unprovoked or whatever. Um, and so like these shows that try to really hammer down this idea of like black people are different and they do different things and they mm -hmm. have to act this way otherwise they're not black um really like fuck it up for the rest of us like it's hard enough to just exist as a black man it's it's it, it's another thing to like feel like you have to exist as in a certain way in order to just like exist in your own community yeah blackish is a really interesting show because that uh talking about that attitude just reminding me of another episode where uh, they go to the barbershop and the whole episode is about like the black experience at the barbershop. Yeah. Which is historically and culturally it, black barbershops have done a lot and are always involved in the community and like mm -hmm. every, what's funny is I was, I was gonna, okay. So speak your I, truth, man. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I don't go to the barber that often. And when I do, like I cut my hair myself sometimes. That's the thing is I don't take care of my hair the way black men are traditionally thought to. Okay. Um, or can be thought to. And that's a big part of like the root of that episode was like, yo, you, you come to the barbershop every two weeks cause you've got to stay fresh. Like that was almost a built in, like assumed concept. And that's the reason, uh, um, he's taking his son to the barbershop is like the kid doesn't have a shape of I me. Mean, like he looks, all kinds of fucked up um however what's interesting to me though is despite that i now currently i should say i might cut my hair myself 
I have a very small, predominantly Hispanic barber shop that I go to that's in my neighborhood. First off, it's convenient, it's cheap, and they do a fine job because I'm not that concerned. Mm. But I know the feeling of being in a black barber shop, and I appreciate that. How and at and some of those same at the same time, I don't feel the need to go to those spaces. I, I can never discount them or, and I wouldn't even say, especially in my formative years. And that's why I'd pause earlier. It's like, I definitely spent many, many days in the barber shop chopping it up with people. So, like I remember being taken with my parents and like sitting and getting all this advice from all these people. And like the, the, the black barber shop traditionally is thought to be like, it's a place where you go to learn and to grow and it's a it's a center of like community discussion and that and it's interesting because that is really how i remember it in a lot of ways and even though like i so i watched that episode seeing like all the the negative things because it because it brought up to me the many because they showed like the player barber who like is like teaching the the teenage kid like how to speak spit game and a girl that he likes at school and it's working it's working fantastically but that I also am reminded in real life of like, yeah, but those dudes are just mad misogynists though. Yeah. Like, like those dudes were actually just gross, mm. you know? And like, that's why now as an adult, I don't feel the need to go there, but I would never discredit that experience at the same time. But I feel like that show was so restricted in how it presented that. It was like, it was very much like you, you got, you go to the barber because you got to keep your hairline tight and you go, to learn how because there was there were no negative consequences that was all positive for him like learning how to talk to the girl like the the negative things that were happening was there was an old barber who was screwing up the dad's hairline like that was the the negative thing about this barbershop and it's like all right i don't contrast that with the barbershop episode of atlanta where you're they don't even (laughs) there's there's no haircut for the character, the main character of the show, in the whole movie, in the whole episode, right? Uh, and but but it takes you again on an adventure through the community, and it just follows this one barber, but it shows how he relates to everyone in in the neighborhood and how just his schedule can can make or break other people's within that neighborhood. And it was such a such a more nuanced and like palatable take on like what like a relationship to a barber you know yeah. um and in a barber shop so yeah blackish it's all like it's all great that's what i'm saying i'm, I'm it's definitely a black show the same way atlanta is well i <laughs> i hear you talk about <laughs> the barbershop episode mm. really made me feel like blackish is the equivalent to black culture that like big bang theory is to nerd culture and that it's like it's a facsimile of what people people's beliefs of what it is but there's no real exploration about the depths of that culture it's about right it's about like i can only speak to my experience watching i guess uh big bang theory as a as a white person um or a nerd right a white nerd specifically like um it feels like the the joke is all that they are nerds and not 
at all an exploration of what it is to be nerdy, be a nerd, have those passions, what that world is like, right? So what I'm hearing is by the same token, a lot of blackish is just sort of the point is that they are black and not an exploration of what it is to be black. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and and that is what I'm like going back to when I was opening up, I was like, there's, there's being and there's experience right. and like a black being can have experiences that aren't black and vice versa. Like there's a great little bit in Atlanta where this, this like teenage black kid is like, I woke up one day and I thought I was 35 and white. He's like, I'm a 35 year old white man. And he's just like convinced. And it's the whole thing about how he's like the first transracial person, very Rachel Dolezal of mm-hmm. him, you know? Um, interesting to see how that went the opposite way. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I love that joke so much because like I, am a 35 year old white man bro like i love i just called you bro i love craft beer i just came from rock climbing i ride bicycles but like like i probably i probably have like made remarks in the workplace that women cringe at like i'm a 35 year old white man (laughs) yo but but then my question is like do white people own those things exactly they don't they don't because that's the right if white people own those things that makes you whiter than i am (laughs) (laughs) and that's and that's what i'm saying there's these ideas of being like white like white i'm blacker than you i'm whiter than you you act white you talk white you act black etc whatever uh and and it gets even deeper i'm we're just talking about black and white it gets even deeper when you bring in you know the rest of the world oh yeah Uh, um uh but just focusing on just say black and whiteness uh there's 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 a being like my being is one of adventure clearly and like i like i enjoy these things that most that the typical quote-unquote black person is like that's crazy that's for white people like climbing rocks that's white people shit and it and it is you know why because i because i have met like seven other black people to do it so that's how i know that as an experience it is a white experience as as something i'm doing in my being it's just it's just a being and but but what but what's weird is that like i'm like i'm a 35 year old white man but i'm also a black man like i'm a 35 year old white man who has to live with the experience and the simultaneous being of a black man yeah like i'm a 35 year old white man but i will never get treated that way right yeah i i always feel like when people when black people say um Ah, that's white people shit. The like undertone is actually that like I don't have the luxury to do that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so like there's this idea, especially when it comes to like deathifying stuff. It's like, bro, I spend most of my energy just trying not to like die by existing. <laughs> I don't have the mental fortitude to do that and jump out of fucking plane. You know, <laughs> like I just it's and so like there there are so many like things in life that are just take like the luxury items that like sometimes you as a person don't have the ability to take on like whether it's financially and that like a lot of the things you describe are things that are like additional financial burdens that like someone who is just struggling to uh live paycheck to paycheck because they can't get a decent job just because they black Mm -hmm. like can't afford to do yeah and so it's it's like white people shit and that like uh not to say that like all white people are uh, have the luxury of doing those things. Not to say that all white people uh, have disposable income because 
life in general is built on a, a, a class system that is systematically course, unfair. Yeah. Um, but like, there are there are relatively less obstacles and more uh, opportunities based on being born white or being born black. A, a lot know. of people have it in their heads that just because they are struggling in their own lives, they don't benefit from white privilege. Stop that. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. I mean, well, it's because it's hard for people to fathom the idea of white privilege, especially because it, 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 it to a lot of people it feels so amorphous. And when you say privilege, it, it gives people this idea that you are essentially gaining something mm-hmm. uh, without effort. Um, and so they, they think of privilege as people drinking wine holding out their pinkies with gold spoons right. in their mouth on their private jet. Right. right. Yeah. But like privilege has so many varying levels. Like um, we use the term privilege in, in addition to just like having the ability to like, let's say you meet someone that you never thought you would. It's a privilege to meet that person. It's not a high feat. It's just, <laughs> it's just yeah. a thing that you're, you had the ability to do because of circumstances. And that is what it means to have privilege. It's not necessarily a uh, a status symbol. It's more uh, uh, a result of circumstances. It's it's funny to talk about privilege. I just uh, this comedian Josh Johnson um, had like a little thing on Netflix. They did these like fifteen minute stand up segments, a collection of them that they're doing. It's pretty yeah. cool. But um, he ended his set uh, doing a joke about white privilege, but initially it seemed like he was going to be on some like black Trump supporter type of bend or like, Oh man, where's this going? But he kind of ended in a spot saying what you're saying and on a very funny way and very funny note. Cause he was just like, he was like, okay. He's, he's basically like, I, he's like, look at any like homeless white person and look at me and try to tell that white person that they are privileged. And it's like, that's not what, we're talking about (laughs) and then he like paused and he's like if you're white and you make less than twenty thousand dollars a year then all i can say to you is nigga and it was like (laughs) it was it was hilarious because it's like yeah like ultimately when you when you get down to the nitty-gritty of things it's like things aren't a class system but that class system like has a shield that the race system holds over it or it holds over itself and that's why that's why you get white people who voted Donald Trump in office not being able to even like not being able to get past the idea of white and black enough to even think about the economy and like <laughs> tax brackets like mm-hmm. they like that's not even the plane that they're on so it's like like I, like I feel like socialism like any kind of major political change would never work without like a racial change in this country first because every anything that comes up and it, and it's already happening when you uh have that that woman from New York who is just elected something uh senator Cortez oh uh, she's like a she's Cortez, like a democratic yeah, yeah, socialist yeah. uh-huh and like rather than the, a conversation i would have much preferred a conversation centered on like socialism for her cuz she is sort of an iffy candidate from like a political standpoint better than a lot of options but that whole conversation became immediately racial and like 
can you imagine that on like a large scale? Um, I, I mean, I mean, we already had it on a large scale with Obama, mm-hmm. yeah. and like that was a mess. <laughs> and 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 like you have to start to want like was Obama a good thing for black people? Like it's funny. It's like did that happen too early, or did that happen at a time where it just came out to make it perfect for something like Donald Trump? to arise well there's like a it's like a double-edged sword in that like i think that i think he came at the exact right time Mm. i think that the reaction to him people weren't ready for like everyone who voted for trump already existed and had their perspectives they were just essentially rattle radicalized by that shift in i guess the 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 racial dynamic structure yeah um but like i don't i think that like it only served to like push things forward quicker like if we had another string of like if we had another string of just like old white dude candidates like who knows when the next obama would have come along like he was the most presidential uh and like charismatic candidate that we've had in years mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah. um so like it could have been another like five decades until someone who even was like half as charismatic as he was came along and then by that time it could have been too late um because i mean we always talk about the show on the show that like progress is a wheel like as mm-hmm. we're spinning forward there's always a little bit that's like kind of spinning backwards um and so like by the time the next candidate would have come like we could have been in a spot that like we weren't ready to get that person yeah um so like who knows i think that like i think ultimately like he was the best candidate especially during the time that we were in our biggest struggle um because like you know when he came into the office we were just in the in the midst of like a recession oh yeah and he managed to like pull us out of it and i don't think any of the other candidates that were up against him could have done that um i mean just like and i know that like talking about obama you can't separate the idea of him also doing like drone strikes and stuff like that so like who knows what that would have been with someone else but like uh so we're not separating his good and his bad but i think he did a lot more good than he did bad Whereas, like, a lot of candidates tend to either just do the, the minimum or they ruin things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't even, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about his political career, which I agree with you. Like, he, oh, man. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, John Kerry. That would have been the worst. Yeah. Right? That would have been the worst. It, but Yeah. It's one of but, those minimum uh, effort candidates. But, um, but you say charisma and... That's what I find most interesting about Barack Obama's election mm-hmm. was that it was very compelled through media and yeah. charisma. He, since JFK, I feel like he was the next big like turn of like a political movement that happened because of a new media movement. Yeah, yeah very much so, right? I mean, because because Kennedy, right? Like when he was debating Nixon, he was everybody was like, "Oh, Kennedy totally won that debate," and it was largely predicated on Nixon being super sweaty, sweaty and not and, super yeah, put together. It was and, the first televised right, debate. Just, just like, did not look as good on camera as Kennedy. I feel like the 2008 election um, was also probably the first like internet heavy one. Yeah, where like internet campaigning and social media markets became a battleground. 
for how your candidate was going to be received to the whole public. And the Obama campaign won that. Hand oh, for sure. Like, like Obama seemed to be the first candidate and certainly the first sitting president who seemed to understand that you can utilize social media to galvanize a young voter mm-hmm. base. Like, and it felt like he, he seemed to understand the language of people that weren't 45 and older rich white dudes. Yeah. And beyond that, like Obama for all intents and purposes was like the Carl Winslow of, of <laughs> candidates. Like, no, like yeah. he had the perfect nuclear family. He had dogs. He like, like he, was everything that that the media or like the 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 people in America would have wanted in their like white candidate? He was blackish. He was. I mean, and and he knew he <laughs> knew how to navigate those. Over here, I'm like, yep, that's that's <laughs> well, that marketing like, at work, man. He's he's the he's he and he knew how to navigate those like that system. Mm-hmm. I mean, he because and and also I think it also helped that he was. Half white as well, um, <laughs> yeah. Like but. W. Kamau Bell, um, who he's on CNN now, but mm-hmm. he was a San Francisco comedian back when I was in San Francisco. Had a, he had a bit about how like everyone's so upset that like Obama is black, but you, they have to remember that he's half white. So like all the white people should just get together and be like another white president. <laughs> the rain continues. <laughs> Um, uh, but like, that's, that's the thing is like, he, he, he was both, um, the, the, the ideal nuclear Christian family, um, with a little, just enough white blood to where people could get behind him. Yeah. You know? And just enough not white blood that the rest of our government made it their mission to destroy everything he represented. Oh, and yeah. that's how we get where we are just now. Just enough white blood that like, I had family members that took off work. Because he won. They were like, I cannot do things for white people on this day. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, I get it. I buy enough. it. I buy it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know how we got there from black media, but I feel like it all ties in. Because, again, it's oh, like yeah. Barack Obama was blackish. Like, and that is kind of why he won. Because he was, he was presentable. Because we've had, like, Angela Davis probably would have been a great president. She ran. But like no one, no one's like Angela Davis, um, and that that is like a mic, either a macro or microcosmic way to describe or like relate how these shows are kind of working. But it is kind of it's like a show, and and what's interesting though is that Atlanta. I have a feeling Random Acts of Flying. like these shows are going to get out. They're going to be lauded. Uh, and like people are are gonna clap for them. They do. They they receive great critical attention. And at this point, it's just it's a matter of like, is it? Are you guys clapping for the right reasons? Like, are you clapping because, whoa, these are some crazy visuals, and that was a, such an interesting way to structure an episode, which is a perfectly fine reason to clap. But hopefully you're also clapping because wow this this said something about culture our culture the american culture and presented it in a way that no other piece of media has and has opened my eyes a bit to something that i didn't 
previously understand or even if I don't understand it, I now know that it exists or that some people feel this way and that their feelings about it are valid because this really good show told me. <laughs> right, 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 Cause right. Because ultimately, someone's got to tell them. Yeah. Someone's got to tell you. Yeah, it represents underrepresented perspectives. Yeah. Um, there's this thing in terms of especially like com or like now contemporary black media that like i always have this underlying fear that the like we're i I describe it as like a a renaissance we're in right now and i I always have this fear that this the bottom is going to drop out where like people are going to be like black's not in anymore yeah we don't need we don't need this we did we did all the good black shows like we're going back to what we what we uh, <laughs> we did were doing before. <laughs> like they had a list, oh, yeah, and they're yeah. like, "We're like, we're done, right, we're done." <laughs> Got it. There's there's this like, especially like if you are in LA, and there's this idea that like they're like black is in, it's in right now. We oh, gotta yeah. get all the representation, all the representation we can, you know, while people while it's still hot, and it, it's a dangerous idea because it it makes it seem like this is a fad. Black people are in now. Right. Maybe we'll do something with Mexicans next. Maybe <laughs> Asians are going to be after that. And then we're just going to, like, then once everyone's tired of all the minorities, we'll just go back to default, yeah. which is a dangerous, dangerous thing to think. And so, like, I really, if you, my, my, uh, this is when I get on my soapbox. Um, Jump but, up like, there. Go. I would say I encourage people to, like, really consume this media and really, like, try to, um, Make shows that represent a different different perspectives and and that are made for people who aren't you. Uh, I, I I really recommend yeah. you like take those in and even if like you don't find it accessible, still like sit with it. Try to like have that feeling that like Lex was talking about earlier, where you you sit and you you look at it and you go, is this what it's like to ex- to experience the world as uh, insert this represented group of people whether it be like a, a race or you're watching a show about lgbt characters or mm-hmm. you're you're uh or it's just like something else mixed characters whatever you want like um i really try to i want to encourage people to like step outside of the the general uh me like media that we we consume by default and really try to go out of your way and find like that world star video where someone made like where someone just not necessarily the fight ones, but like someone just made a, a video and they put it up yeah. there, you know, like if white people want to learn about black people spend time on world star, but try to like reserve judgment, try to <laughs> no seriously, because like if you, if you go on world star and you hate black people, World Star is just going to show you how black, how bad black people are. Real quick, That's because this, this really perfectly takes us all the way back to the beginning where I asked on behalf of all oh, yeah. the white people not in the know, uh, can you explain to everybody who may not be aware, okay. A, what is World Star and why did you describe it as essentially being like the, the pinnacles is how you described I it, did. kind of what you're I talking did, about. I did, and I still I still stand by that. Okay, WorldStarHipHop.com, W-S-H-H is a it's basically like a youtube-esque idea um it's a video aggregate of you know user uploaded or um paid submissions uh however it is almost entirely centered around black 
ness. Um, and and I say that because uh, yes, a lot of the videos have black people in them, but they also post like World Star religiously is posting trailers from like big superhero movies or video games, like things that black people are into. Sports clips will end up on World Star, like major ones. Mm. Um, so it it is ineffably about like a black culture um but and the the core of what it what it started as and why people go there is because it's like user uploaded black videos generally from uh ghetto niggas like it's it's, (laughs) i don't know i was break i was trying to think of a way to be Um, more no i mean it's true educated and saying that but like that's what it is it's a bunch of like ratchet shit and it's great because like i know i've seen all of that in person like i've seen those type of interactions i've met i've seen those type of people they're in my family they were around where i grew up and yeah i climb rocks now (laughs) you know but like that like that site is undoubtedly the blackest shit on the internet but like i said if you go there and you're looking for reasons to call black people ignorant or lazy or dumb or stupid or violent you will find all of those and if you go there and you're looking for uplifting stories about how 16 year old black kids can graduate and become doctors at harvard and shit that's there too and if you just want to look like at like booty shaking that's there too (laughs) I mean, something for everybody. That's the real four quadrant programming. Oh, yeah. Um, No, I feel like it it has everything that the, like, early days of YouTube, where it was literally just, like, user-generated content, and it ranged from, like, cat videos to, like, niggas fighting, and then, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, to polished videos. And now, like, YouTube is kind of, uh, YouTube has essentially made it so that you only can get the like polished stuff in your feeds and like yeah. they have a lot more rules whereas like uh like world star is still kind of the wild west and that like you get whatever you go there for um but there's so it's so multifaceted and that like if you want people fighting sure but like you can also like really take in it, it i think since we talked about barbershops it it is kind of like the barbershop feel where mm-hmm. like in in those barbershops you are able to just be black and not worry about if you're representing your whole race incorrectly you just go there and you just intake um every facet from the worst to the best and everything in the middle uh in this one place yeah like everyone was looking at me and I'm like I the, believe you that's the conclusion of this whole thing I think it's like Atlanta's great Get Out was a wonderful film we didn't even get to talk about Sorry to Bother You there's a whole lot about that a lot. Uh, yeah. you should see definitely see it it's, it's funny it's yeah. funny I know it's on my yeah. list guys <laughs> I'm trying but, but all that aside World Star Hip Hop is really what's going to bridge the racial gap in America. <laughs> yep, that's that's the answer. Yep. All our woes, man. Um, all right, well, we are now out of time, guys. Um, but I really want to thank you, Matt, for joining us. Yeah, thank uh, you. This has been a really fun episode. And by fun, I mean it's been really intriguing and I hope interesting for everyone listening. Um, I don't get to do, like, a bunch of d- cool black talk. So uh, thank you for letting me do that. Yeah. 
Um, well, and, and thank you for for just kind of again, like I my job in conversations like this is usually to listen, just to be quiet and listen occasionally, try and ask a question and not sound okay, super ignorant snaps. while doing it. <laughs> yes. um, but but seriously, like like Tari, you were saying before about how you really hope, if only so it it doesn't end up being a bubble that bursts. You really want people to go and consume this media so that they can essentially internalize other points of view, right? Yeah. Like we still. We still live in an age where like people like nerds, right? Like who are watching all of these stories, these big like blockbuster stories that are all about sort of conquering hate and coming together to overcome adversity and our, our shared commonalities as opposed to letting our perceived differences drive us apart. You've got people that are ostensibly fans of those stories that that uh, impart those concepts. And some of those same people, like when um, the first Force Awakens trailer dropped, when it dropped, first face you see is John Boyega and a lot of these same people lost their shit. It's insane to me how many people, white people, seem to utterly miss the point of the stories that they claim to love. I think it is so like, like I said, right? Like, um, I watch these shows and I go like, I will never know. I will, it's not possible for me to know the experience of being black in this country. The closest I can come is listen understand what I'm being told, believe what I'm being told and empathize to the best of my ability. And like, that's, that's my job. That's my job as an audience member. Not, not top of that. Yes. The stuff that we've been talking about today is like, these are excellent, excellent, excellent pieces of filmmaking on top of that. But empathy, like these, we, we always talk about like media being empathy machines. Essentially. Mm -hmm. It's like, listen, learn about people that are different from you. Learn about a world that's different from yours. Break this, this illusion that's been drilled into your head that the way you are is the default. You're talking to white people The the way you are is the norm is the default. It, it, society has been structured in a way that kind of perpetuates that, but it should not be. Um, so yes, I, I would agree. And hopefully, right. It isn't, if people internalize all of it, right, the next generation of people who are in decision-making positions to say what show goes and what show doesn't, hopefully more of them as time passes, as these uh, generations of job holders turn over and turn over and turn over, hopefully we will have far more people that have taken the time to listen and learn about experiences different than their own and want to help kind of perpetuate the availability of stories about people who are different than you are and sort of the openness, the space for people that are different than you are to tell those stories. Yeah. Nice. Um, what? <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> I just said some words, man. Yeah. And I said they were nice. <laughs> um, Matt, uh, where can people find you if they want to continue the conversation? Don't. <laughs> all right. That is why my name is Matt Smith, so I can't be found on any form of social media. I changed it. No, uh, you could not. My Instagram is wrong, Matt Smith. Literally, it's it's wrong, Matt Smith. All one word. Uh, okay. If you want to DM me about that, but that'd be petty. Don't do that. Yeah, or you know, just. I mean, if you want an actual open conversation, then I guess yes, DM me. But if it's petty, I'm not gonna block you. Yeah, and they should accept that. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I mean, I hope they mostly follow you for your sweet, sweet rock climbing pictures yeah hell yeah 35 year old white man <laughs> and they're like oh my gosh is that craft brew hell yeah hell yeah and you're like hangar 24 baby ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez uh lex what about you where can they find you uh i'm all over social media at the lex michael awesome uh, you can find me at tari j that's t-e-u-r-i-j-a-y and you can also find the show 
at Missing Outcast on Twitter. Um, hit us up. Let us know what you think of black media. Also, you'll get blocked if it's petty shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we really like having conversations with you guys and encourage you guys to go and comment on our iTunes. Uh, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think. And we read them here on the show. Uh, so please continue to support the show and all that stuff. You know where we're available. Uh, so keep doing that. We really appreciate it. If you're into anything specific uh, or there's something you want to recommend to the show, make sure to hit up the Missing Out hotline. It is 978-MISS-OUT. That number again, in case you're driving and you are trying to fumble with all your things, it is 978-MISS-OUT. Please don't write while you're driving. It's dangerous. Um, But once again, thank you for joining us, Matt. Uh, Thank you, audience, for joining us this week. Um, And hey, guys, keep, keep, keep doing cool stuff. Uh, Bye, everyone. (laughs) You you were missing out, and now you're not. Listen to this sweet sign-off. We really need a a solid sign-off. You 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 should play uh, James Brown. I'm blacking out. So, like, play it out. (laughs) Yeah. And and me telling you to do that over (laughs) this. You should play this. And it's, like, been playing for, like, three minutes. (laughs) And they're like... Oh, that's why. I get it. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, Keep it. I will. Keep the sign off in place. Good. Yeah. Thank you.